I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And good morning, we welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I did to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I ask you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Today we look at a biblical view of human life. A biblical view of human life. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. and Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Perhaps no more than this year that we're going into will you see the value and the biblical view of human life come to the forefront of the new story every day. With the Supreme Court coming out in the summer of 2022 and sending it back to the states for the states to make their own ruling on abortion. In 2023, it will be an issue on the forefront of every state legislature. Sadly, we are living in a world where human life has become cheap. A cheap commodity. It has become effortless to throw human life away before it even appears in our world through the act. And I'll say the lawless act of abortion. And it is becoming easier to discard those individuals that are seen as worthless. If no one has a value on the life of a child, an unborn child, then my friend, the day is soon coming when they will not have the value on any life that they deem worthless or become a drain on society. In the Netherlands, which has the policy of legalized euthanasia, in one year alone there was nearly 12,000 euthanasia deaths, which accounted for 
9% of the total deaths in the Netherlands that year. In other words, nearly one out of every 10 people who died in that country, in that area, in that year, died by euthanasia at the hands of a doctor, a nurse, or family member. Of these 11,800 deaths, some 5,500 were performed without the patient's consent. Today, I want to see what God has to say about human life. And I think his perspective should be considered as we think about matters like the right to live, the right to die, abortion, and euthanasia. You say, Pastor, why are you talking about euthanasia? Because, my friend, if they, that is, those who do not have any value on human life in the womb, there's just a gnat's hair away from not having any value on anyone they deem as worthless in their own mind. In fact, not only should God's perspective be considered but I say, based upon the authority of the Word of God, that it should be the final say in these matters. Today we examine life from God's perspective. There are three statements I would like to make regarding this subject. Number one, God is sovereign in the creation of life. The Bible says from the very text that we read that every human being is a special being. One of the primary truths that come from these verses, and I'll put on top of our text, Genesis 2 and verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. These verses teach the fact that man is the product of God's creative power, not the result of random evolution. Man did not evolve from a single-celled organism over the space of millions of years. He is a special creation of God. You'll notice that all the other animals were spoken into existence by the word of God. Man, however, was formed by God out of the dust of the earth, and God breathed life into the nostrils of man. The fact that God singled man out for special care in the creation informs us that there is a vast difference between humans and the rest of the animal kingdom. Now, here's one of the greatest dangers in the entire system of evolution as it is taught to our children in the public educational system. If people can be convinced that mankind is nothing more than the product of random selection, then human life loses its value. You see, if man simply evolved then he's no different than a dog or a cat. 
You kill him and he simply ceases to exist. There is no God and man does not have a soul. He doesn't have a spirit that will live on. There is no heaven to be gained. There is no hell to be shunned. And man is nothing more than an animal and he can be eliminated if it becomes necessary. Those who hold to this view of things believe that man should live until his quality of life is over. Then he should be put out of his misery. Once we start down this slippery slope, there'll be no turning back. Today it's babies and brain-damaged people. Tomorrow it will be the mentally and physically challenged as well as the old and the infirmed. That is exactly, my friend, where this world is headed. There's more than one way to save Social Security and Medicare. And now, if the evolutionary theory was correct, there would be no problem with this view. However, it is a false view of life, death, and eternity. We'll give that more consideration in just a few moments. For now, we need to consider that every human being is a special being. He or she, by the way, there's only two genders, Good grief, where are we at in this world? He or she is here because they're a special creation of God himself. Every human is a special being, but every human is also a spiritual being because we're told that man was made in the image of God. This does not mean that man looks like God or that God has a body like we do. It does mean that man was created like God in that man is a tripartite being. In the Godhead, there is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In a man, there is the body, the soul, and the Spirit. God is a three-part being. Man is a three-part being. God has intellect, will, and emotions, and so does mankind. This is the primary way in which mankind can be distinguished from the members of the animal kingdom. Every person who ever comes into this world has three parts. They have a body, they have a soul, they have a spirit. Let's just take a moment and examine each part because we need to be sure about what we're talking about. First, you have the body. The body is the vehicle in which... We move through and interact with our world. It's the body that provides a home for the soul and the spirit while we are in this world. Both humans and animals have bodies. When we die, our bodies return to the earth. Genesis 3.19, Ecclesiastes 3.20, Job 34.15. No one will deny that. Secondly, you have the soul. The soul is the seat of the will, the character, the intellect, the thoughts, and the emotions. The soul is where we reason, we love, we hate, we want, etc. The soul is what we refer to when we speak of the mind. Your soul animates your body and allows you to interact with your world and with other people. In short, your soul is that part of you that makes you who you are. Your soul makes you self-conscious. 
There is a sense in which it can be said that animals have souls. That is, they have life within them and they are self-conscious and able to interact with the world around them. But then you have the spirit. And this is where the similarities between man and animals end forever. While the soul makes us self-conscious, the spirit allows us to be God-conscious. Every man that's born into this world is born dead spiritually. Ephesians 2.1. You can't get around it. That is Bible truth. When the Spirit of God comes by and quickens, that is, brings to life the Spirit which is within a man, a person, that person will find his Spirit reaching out in faith to God. And after salvation... The new spirit of life within a person begins to transform the soul part of man. These changes within the spirit and the soul demonstrate themselves in the action of the body. Now, all of that is complicated, but think of it like this. The soul and the spirit are similar in the manner in which they are used in the spiritual life of the believer. They're different in their reference. The soul is man's horizontal view with the world. The spirit is man's vertical view with God. It's important to understand that both refer to the immaterial part of man. But only the spirit refers to man's walk with God. The soul refers to man's walk in the world. Now, when we leave this world, the soul and the spirit return to God to be dealt with accordingly. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. The redeemed, they go to God in glory. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. The lost, those who reject Christ, they go to hell. Psalm 9, 17, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9. The lost always go to hell. The fact that man is a special creation of God and that he was made in the image of God and has the capacity to know God proves that man is a special creature in the eyes of God. And this establishes the fact that God is sovereign over the creation of human life. Secondly, I would have you see that God is sovereign in the continuation of life. That is, God determines the dawn of every life. God is in charge of when life is created within the womb. Notice a few instances in the Word of God. You've got Genesis 29, verse 31, Rebecca. You've got Genesis 25, verse 21, Rachel. And I could go on and on. You've got Hannah in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. When we think of a childbirth, we think of it just being a product of a physical union between a man and a woman. Oh, no, it's far more than that. You see, there is a sovereign God behind the scenes that determines whether or not that egg is fertilized. And he determines whether or not life begins. Psalm 128, verses 3 and 5. Now, I realize that there are often physical issues involved as well. Still behind it all is the sovereign will of God. 
He opens the womb, he closes the womb according to his will. He and he alone determines the dawn of human life. But God also determines the design of every life. You see, not only does God determine whether or not there will be life, he also determines what that life will become. He has a plan for every human that comes into this world. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, we read that God has his hand on Jeremiah, even had a plan for the prophet's life before he was ever born. The same was true in the life of John the Baptist. The Bible tells us all about what, what he would do, what he would be, before he was even born in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. We even read that God was active in John's life when he was still in his mother's womb, Luke chapter 1 and verse 44. He leapt in, his, in the womb with joy. You see, what you and I are in this life is not the product of random chance and hapless genetics. What we are in this life is the product of divine sovereignty. We are what we are because God determined it to be the way that it is. That was the conviction of David in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. Job, in Job chapter 10, verses 9 through 12, Job held to that view. Even modern science, which tries so hard to destroy the very thought of God, confirms for us that we cannot be the product of mere chance. Consider some facts about your body. Did you know that the average body contains some 7.5 trillion cells? It is far more complex than the most advanced computer. Each cell has 200 trillion tiny groups of atoms called protein molecules. The largest molecule is called DNA. DNA carries hereditary information from the parents to the offspring. It also carries your genetic code. It determines if you're going to be a man or a mammoth. Did you know? That DNA in one cell is six feet long? The total DNA in your body would fill a box the size of an ice cube. But if it were joined together, it would reach the sun and back 400 times. All of our cells contain the information found in all the other cells. Each cell in your body carries all the necessary information for another you. Did you know that if the coded DNA information and instructions of one human were translated into English, it would fill a 1,000-volume encyclopedia? Did you know that in cell division, the cell forms a rotating double helix? It rotates at 70 five turns per second, and that's equal to straightening out 
a cathedral full of tangled microphone wire in under a split second. Yet the sales duplication is so accurate that is, it, it's the equivalent to a rate of less than one letter for an entire set of Encyclopedia Britannica. Folks, what I'm trying to get us to understand is the fact that every human that is conceived in the womb is special. Every person, whether born or unborn, is conceived with and for a purpose. Every human life is precious, and none are to be discarded out of hand. Life must be protected. Life must be preserved at all cost. That unborn child in that mother's womb is precious. That mentally incapacitated person in that institution is precious. That terminally ill individual is precious regardless of the condition. Every human life is precious in the sight of God and it must be defended from those who look at it as if it's something that can be thrown away. Thirdly, God is sovereign in the conclusion of life. Just as surely as the Lord God Almighty is sovereign in the creation and the continuation of human life, he is also sovereign in its conclusion. Neither man nor Satan has the power to create life, neither has the ability to continue life apart from the sovereign will of God, and neither has the right to make the decision to end life. You say, really? Yes, really, because look at what the Bible says about the matter. God alone appoints the time of man's death. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. For sake of time, I don't have time to go to all the Scriptures, but I'll give you a few. Job chapter 12, verse 10. Job chapter 14 and verse 5. Job chapter 14 and verse 14. Psalm 39 and verse 4, Hebrews 9 verse 27. There's the evidence of the Old Testament record in Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. Belshazzar was told when he would die. Jesus told a parable in the New Testament that illustrates that truth for us in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 20. And just as surely as the Lord has a plan regarding the beginning and the middle of your life, he also has a plan for the ending of your life. He knows the day, he knows the hour, the minute, even the very second when your last breath will be taken here on this earth and you're going to go out into eternity. God alone appoints the terms of man's death as well. See, not only does God decide when we're going to die, he also determines where we will take our last breath as well. The old fellow said, if I knew where I was going to die, I'd never go there. Regardless how you leave this world, you're going to leave exactly when, where, and how the Lord has predetermined it will happen. It was the Lord's will that Moses die alone with God on the mountain in Deuteronomy 34. It was God's will that Jacob die surrounded by his children in Genesis chapter 49. It was God's will that Paul die at the hands of the Roman executioners. Sometimes people lead through tragedies. Sometimes people die because of disease. Sometimes they go out of here by way of old age. Sometimes they go out suddenly with a bloom of youth still in their cheeks. But however they leave this world, 
It is God's will that must determine the when, the where, and the how, and not the will of man. The only exception God gives to that statement is capital punishment. The word of God is clear. When man murders his fellow man, he is to pay for that crime with his own life. Genesis 9, 6, Romans 12, 13, rather, and verse 4. Now, whether we're talking about murder, suicide, euthanasia, or abortion, man has assumed the place of God when he reaches out to take another human being's life. Each one of these horrible sins ends life prematurely, permanently, and each will be judged and punished harshly by God. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There are times when it becomes necessary to withhold further medical treatment and just allow nature to take its course. Don't, in, don't try to hinder anything that uh, would happen by nature or how God would take a person out. But if you have to make those decisions, my heart really goes out to you. You have not committed murder. You've simply placed the matter in God's hands. You've done what you've had to do. However, to put a helpless, voiceless person to death is murder. Now, in closing, I hope you and I can agree with this, that human life is precious. My friend, human life is so precious that God sent his son Jesus into the world to save life through the death of his son on the cross. John three sixteen and 17. I want to come to you as a citizen, not just a pastor. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our state. We need to pray for our world. We have taken the steps down a slippery slope that will lead us farther and farther and farther and spit in the face of our Creator. We've witnessed the dawn of a new day in our country. We need to make our stand, take our stand, cast our votes, lift our voices in favor of life. We can make a difference, and we must. God says that life is precious. We say amen. I wonder who will join me at the throne of grace and pray and ask God in intercession for our country, in intercession for our world, in intercession for the helpless, in intercession for the voiceless people who face death in the name of convenience and the name of escaping responsibility and the name of money, in the name of godless indifference. What a world we've come to know. We have got to take our nation to God. Big mercy on this land. That is your job, believer, in this new year.